the attack on Salman Rushdie of 10 days or so ago really grabbed me and uh, thought of it for, for a couple of reasons. One, because I just don't understand this level of violence and these kind of acts. Uh, and, and they just, how could you get that worked up about something? And secondly, because a good friend of mine who I work with at Lake Institute has recently gone to be the director of religious education at Chautauqua in New York. And so I was thinking about her and what she was going through. And I was thinking about Salman Rushdie and, 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 and the young man who attacked him. And, and I began to think of, about a hate crime and a terrorist attack on an individual is going on here. Simply because someone thinks their religious belief system has been attacked. So I began to study a little bit about this and think a little bit about this, what about Salman Rushdie and reminding myself when he wrote and, uh, uh, satanic verses and what they all dealt with and all that. And I, came, I found out that people who had translated that book into other languages were themselves attacked at the time that they were doing the translations and even some killed simply because someone wrote something they didn't like because they felt it was so critical to their being the religious values. It made me wonder about how, how belief, especially a religious belief, so strongly held could overcome the value of life. How could that happen? How could those things be congruent? If there's one thing that faith and religion deals with of all kinds, it is this value of life and this giftedness of life that God has given us. And, and so, so, so how could this kind of thing overcome that? It's just incongruent. You know, this, this isn't just a Muslim happening. It would be easy for us if it were. But Christianity is full of events like this. I remember the, the person from Oklahoma who had a radio show that occasionally I would actually listen to because it just fascinated me, entitled Kill a Commie for Christ. And how celebrated that was. I, I, I begin to think about, I think I actually heard a Beatles song this past week. I begin to think about in 1966 when, when John Lennon said, well, we're more popular than Jesus. Rock and roll is going to outlast the Christian faith. Now, that was a stupid comment for John Lennon to make. But the venom and the anger and the hatred that was then put out toward him and the Beatles by people supposedly of faith made no sense. We have our own history with this kind of thing, do we not? And that brings us to our story today here in Luke 13. This is a unique story to Luke. Now, it sounds like a story you've heard in other places, woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. So it sounds familiar, but this story is actually unique to Luke. And so we have Jesus showing up at a synagogue. Didn't say, excuse me, didn't say which one. He shows up at a synagogue on the Sabbath, as is his habit to do, I think. And Jesus, and Jesus is there, and he's looking around, and, and if there's one thing that Jesus definitely is, he is observant. And so he looks around, and he sees this woman, and it seems that he is moved, as we're often told, he is with compassion. And he, he, he calls the woman to him. Now, imagine the room's fairly full of people. Uh, we're at the, the synagogue, and we're on the Sabbath, and, and he catches his eye, and he says, come here, come here. And then it says here in Luke that the woman is freed. Interesting that that word is used and not the word healed. 
She is free. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But, but, but the idea that this woman is freed, and then Jesus frees her, and then he lays his hand on her, and, 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 and she straightens up, and, and, and the woman begins to praise God. And do we not sense that somehow God must be at work in this? If I had seen something like that, I would go, whoa, what's going on here? Hmm, maybe I should be paying some attention to what's happening. And so you have this event, and it feels really good, does it not? The Jesus we love so much, loving people, doing the very things we, we want Jesus to do, and it's the reason that we feel so wonderful about Jesus. And so it's a good feeling. But then the synagogue leader, the president of the synagogue, would be called today, the synagogue leader says to the people, now notice he doesn't say it to Jesus. I think the synagogue leader has figured out there is a something going on with this guy, Jesus. I think I won't go face to face with him. Because I'm kind of, oh, about that. But I'm not going to let this just happen. Because bad things are happening here. You realize that, right? Bad things are happening. And so he says to the people, look. Six days you can come and be healed, but we don't work on the Sabbath. Don't come on the Sabbath. And really begins to blame the people. Hey, you all are messing up. What's wrong with you? You have six days to come and be healed. Don't, don't mess up my one day. Don't you know you're violating what God has told us? Don't do this on the Sabbath. And then notice what Luke has happened here. Luke doesn't, doesn't say, well, well Jesus, Jesus replied. replied. He, he says, says, the Lord replies. Luke wants us to understand that this Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. As he will claim and has claimed, the Lord responds. The one who is the decider of what is holy and what is not holy responds. And he says, you hypocrites. The word just means play actors, right? You play actors. It was a, it was a theater word then. You hypocrites. You make exceptions, rightly so, for animals. No one wants to see an animal mistreated. And we know that animals need water, so you untie your animals. What a right thing to do. Jesus isn't condemning that practice. He's saying you can perceive it for an animal, but not a daughter of Abraham. Wait, now, how would we get here? How would we devalue humanity enough? Now, I'm a big animal lover. Uh, I, I like animals. I even like the dog we have most days. Gail doesn't always agree with that, but I do. Lena's a good dog. She licks me occasionally. I don't like that, but, but Lena's a good dog. And, and so, so I get this. But I'm sorry, how would you put an animal? And for them, these were work animals. How would you put an animal above a person? And so, and so Jesus, Jesus then says, depending on your, your, your translation, translation, should not or ought not this daughter of, of Abraham be healed, be freed. And the, the word, word there is, is the word, word, it's a really little Greek word, day. Now, Jordan would tell you it's said different because we learn different pronunciations, but it's day. Delta Epsilon Iota. And so it's a little word, word but it carries such meaning. It means it is a moral necessity. So Jesus is just asking a little question about, oh, shouldn't we, shouldn't we take care of this woman also? He's saying it is a moral necessity built into the universe by Creator God. 
that we ought to be dealing with this woman and healing this woman. It is the exact same word that Jesus uses in Luke 9.22 when he says, the Son of Man must suffer and die. The word must is that same word. It is a moral necessity. That's the level that Jesus is seeing this. It isn't just, oh, it got a good heart and isn't it wonderful. We have to take care of this woman. He's saying it is built into the very universe that we ought to be taking care of this woman. And so he says, there's been a spirit that is crippled her. Now, this is not to imply demon possession on the part of this woman, but somehow a spirit has caused this thing to happen with her. And Jesus said that earlier, and then he says now, Satan has bound her. Go back to Luke chapter 4. Remember Jesus' mission statement in Luke chapter 4, who he said he was and why he came? I have come to free the prisoners, to free, to provide liberty to those who are oppressed. The release of this woman in Jesus' terms has cosmological significance. It is a battle of good and evil. Can't you see what's going on here, Jesus is saying. This isn't just me violating. This is about fulfilling, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning with John. This is about fulfilling the commandments. This is about doing what you're supposed to do on the Sabbath. It is a moral necessity, and it has cosmological significance. Evil and good are going on here, and good needs to win the day. Jesus is not abolishing the Sabbath. Sabbath. He is actually following it faithfully, doing the very work of God here in this place. What he's really saying to them is, look, your attitude, your understanding of Sabbath is just wrong. You don't get it. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world right here. If you look at the, the, the scripture, the next two passages are the, the parable of the mustard seed. In verse 19 there, 18 and 19, and then the parable of the yeast in verses 20 and 21. And he says, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, small but grows. The kingdom of God is like some, some leaven put into 60, 60 uh, units of uh, uh, yeast, uh, of uh, flour here, and it causes it to grow. 